setting fire to the stoner stereotype, sparking up candid conversations with cannabis researchers, entrepreneurs, and advocates. Educator, author, and advocate Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Please welcome the host of Burning Issues, Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Thanks so much for tuning in to Burning Issues, where we burn away the cannabis myths with science. As many of you know, I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine, professor of psychology at the University of Albany author of the Oxford University Press book, Understanding Marijuana, and High Times columnist. Today we'll chat about cannabis and driving with Deputy Director of the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, Paul Armentano. We'll also have our new segment on self-compassion in the art of activism. I want to give my hearty thanks to everyone for the praise I've received for burning issues. If you feel you need to reach me, I'm at 420research at gmail.com. That's 420research at gmail.com. I'm elated to have normal Deputy Director Paul Armentano with us today. I've been following Paul since 2002. He's always been a superb writer. Over the years, he's become a supremely gifted consumer of research. Literally no one on earth knows the literature on cannabis and driving the way he does, and no one can talk about it in such an accessible way. Paul, welcome to Burning Issues. Good to be here, Mitch. I recall the old Roby data from the late 90s where he had folks come to the lab, he got them high, and they said, we're going to go drive. And most of them said, you mean outside? It seems like most people don't really like to drive high in the first place. And then when he got them out there, they tended to compensate. They increased their stopping distance, decreased their speed, and they rarely attempt to pass other cars. So are there really detrimental effects of cannabis on driving? That's a, such a difficult question to answer because what we tend to see is that people drive differently after they consume cannabis as compared to how they drive normally. Now, some of these differences in performance may potentially increase one's risk of accident. And I'm thinking about changes in performance in regard to reaction time and brake latency and weaving. But as you just noted, there are other differences in performance that we consistently see, like individuals leaving greater headway between their vehicle and the vehicle in front of them, slowing their speed, engaging in fewer lane changes, essentially engaging in compensatory driving behavior. And these changes in performance clearly are not related to a potential increased risk of motor vehicle accident. And in fact, in some cases, may be associated with potentially less risk of an accident occurring. Uh, so ultimately, what we have is a fact that within the context of behaviors that people engage in that increase risk of accident, the use of cannabis is comparatively low on that spectrum, particularly compared to the use of legal amounts of alcohol, 
the use of illicit medications. In fact, even driving with two or more passengers in the car increases one's risk of accident more than twofold. And we know that drivers who test positive for THC on average possess a much lower elevated risk than that. In fact, there's some studies showing that these drivers uh, possess no elevated risk. I'm delighted to hear that. And in part, I feel like cannabis is sort of vilified in an unfair way. There are new data out showing that basically antihistamines also increase the bad behaviors and just inappropriate ways to drive. I also feel like I've got the looming notion of tolerance in the back of my mind. Would you care to comment on that? Yes, tolerance is a significant part of this equation. Essentially, what we see in the driving studies consistently, and we also see these on simulator studies, is that individuals who are more experienced cannabis users tend to become tolerant to many effects of the drug, including the potentially psychomotor impairing effects of the drug. Conversely, those individuals that are more naive to cannabis, we tend to see more dramatic changes in psychomotor performance. Uh, So ultimately, in many ways, this comes down to several factors. It comes down to the quantity of the dose, it comes down to the potency of the dose, and it also comes down to the cannabis use history of the individual. The fourth and arguably most significant factor in cannabis in driving is the concurrent use of alcohol. We tend to see, again, consistently in the literature that there tends to be an additive adverse effect on psychomotor performance when cannabis is used in conjunction with alcohol. And clearly, when we look at the data, we see the greatest elevated risk of accident associated with drivers who test positive for both alcohol and cannabis. Certainly, we see a far greater risk associated with that behavior than we see in drivers who test positive for cannabis alone. But certainly, if one is more naive to the drug, uh, the adverse impact on psychomotor performance is going to be more dramatic. The data bears that out consistently. I feel like we've known that even since the late 80s, and it's intriguing to think that cannabis alone is going to help you increase your stopping distance, decrease your speed, rarely attempt to pass other cars, decrease those lane changes, so you really can't compensate. But once alcohol gets in the mix, I think it's just too confusing. It's just more than anybody can handle. It certainly seems that way. And again, we're talking about even small amounts of alcohol can, again, sort of offset this compensatory behavior that we tend to see drivers engage in when they use cannabis alone. Another interesting note uh, in the research is that when individuals use cannabis alone and then engage in these performance tasks, or in some cases, like in the Robay study, engage in actual on-road driving, they tend to subjectively rate their driving performance as more poor than it objectively is. So again, these individuals tend to think they're driving in a worse manner 
than they actually are. Again, this is the opposite effect that we tend to see associated with alcohol, where individuals tend to elevate their perceived driving performance, but by objective metrics, performance has gotten poorer than it was at baseline. That's really intriguing. The other thing that's kind of looming for me is the notion of intoxicated practice. We've seen with other drugs that, in fact, people can get more resistant to negative effects if they've actually practiced the task during intoxication. But I don't know of any driving studies that actually ask people how long they have after using cannabis. Do you? Interestingly, there's some simulator studies that I think have tried to discern whether, in fact, these individuals are simply more tolerant to the physiological effects or if they've simply become more familiar with engaging in these behaviors while under the influence. And again, my understanding of the literature is that we're talking about actual tolerance going on here. These people simply are not more familiar with driving after using cannabis. They're simply not affected to the degree they otherwise would be. Now, what is interesting is that there is one study that looks at the notion of potential cross-tolerance. The assumption was if people become tolerant to some of the psychomotor effects of cannabis, would they become equally tolerant to the concurrent psychomotor effects of alcohol and cannabis together? But that was not the case at all. The researchers did not see any cross-tolerance when those two drugs were combined. That's intriguing to know. Well, so the way we're trying to handle this seems to be as important as the effects themselves. I was curious if you could explain what these per se laws are that are an attempt to try to get at this. Sure. A per se law means that an individual, by engaging in a certain behavior, is in violation of the law and that there is no demonstrable defense that person can put on or go before the court and argue to try and prove innocence. Now, per se laws are rare in the United States because we have a system of jurisprudence that goes back hundreds of years that say that one is presumed innocent until the court finds them guilty. A per se law actually twists that notion and says that a person is presumed to be guilty. Now, where your listeners may be familiar with per se laws are in regard to alcohol and driving. In every state in America, there is a per se standard that says if one operates a motor vehicle with a blood alcohol level above 0.08%, that person has per se committed a traffic safety violation. In other words, the state does not have to establish evidence that this person was driving a vehicle and that they were impaired to the point where they presented a legitimate traffic safety risk. Because by simply operating the vehicle with a blood alcohol level above that threshold, one has broken the law. So the defense in that case might argue that the test itself was flawed or that the measurement was incorrect. What the defendant could not do is go in the court and say, 
hey, you don't have evidence that I was drunk and behind the wheel. It doesn't matter. If you drive with a 0.08 blood alcohol level, you have violated the law. I appreciate that. We're going to get right back to more intriguing information from Paul Armentano about cannabis and driving after a word from our sponsors. Please come right back for more burning issues. More burning issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's order. Less heat, more flavor. com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines. Well, with four states with tax and regulate and the District of Columbia. The state of cannabis. Oh, my God, it's refreshing. We have people that generally wouldn't speak on behalf of cannabis for fear of retribution, fear of losing your practices, fear of of many of those things, and and find ourselves in in a a place that we finally can. Bringing you fact-based news and views and keeping listeners on the pulse of what's happening in the industry today. The State of Cannabis. On demand anytime, only on CannabisRadio.com. Time to fan the fire on some more burning issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. And we're back. Thanks for tuning in to Burning Issues. I've got Paul Armentano of the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws here discussing cannabis and driving. Paul, you were elaborating on these per se laws and basically how if you're above a certain level, it seems like you're in violation of the law regardless of your own performance. Is that a fair summary? Exactly. That's how the alcohol per se laws work. And there has been a trend in a handful of states to try to apply a similar legal limit threshold for the presence of, in some cases, THC, in other cases, the inert metabolites of THC, and making it so, again, if someone operates a vehicle, they have the presence of these compounds in their blood or in their urine, then they are per se in violation of the traffic safety laws, irrespective of whether there's established that the person was demonstrably impaired. So the principle is similar to the alcohol per se laws, but the fundamental difference is we have decades of scientific evidence correlating driving performance under the influence of alcohol with that 0.08 threshold. By contrast, we have virtually no scientific evidence and certainly no consensus among the experts in the field that the detection of either THC 
or in particular the carboxy-THC metabolite at any particular threshold is consistently associated with psychomotor impairment. So in this case, we're talking about an unscientific, inflexible, arbitrary threshold. Um, and essentially, we're talking about a law of convenience. We should not be conflating the detection of particular substances with impairment of performance by said substances, but that's what these proposed laws do. I feel like it's even more complicated and in a sense more distant with the urine screens. Would you care to elaborate on that? Well, fortunately, most states are moving away from the concept of testing drivers' urine because there has become an understanding uh, even within law enforcement and within uh, the courts, that the detection of carboxy-THC, that is the inert breakdown product of THC, does not provide one with any particular useful information. It doesn't give us a timeline in regard to when the subject may have last used or ingested cannabis, and it certainly doesn't provide any evidence in regard to whether one is under the influence of cannabis. So fortunately, many states are moving away uh, from the idea of testing urine, but they are testing blood, which possesses many of the same limitations. So we still have this issue with the THC level really not correlating with actual motor skill, and so the blood tests kind of fall in the same problem. Is that a fair summary? It is a fair summary, and we're also talking about a substance that is highly variable in its pharmacokinetics, or the way the human body absorbs the substance after it's ingested. One of the reasons we have per se laws for alcohol is because alcohol is a standardized product, and there's very little variability in the way human beings absorb it. That's why we can make all sorts of assumptions in regard to one's blood alcohol level based on their weight and how many drinks they've consumed. There's a positive correlation between higher BAC and poorer psychomotor performance. We don't have those correlations with THC. In fact, as one becomes more acutely under the influence of THC, their THC blood levels are actually falling. So we have an inverse relationship as opposed to the one we have with alcohol. Well, what would you prefer as a test for impairment then, Paul? Well, again, if the question on everybody's mind is how do we better ascertain whether one is under the influence of any particular substance, be it alcohol, marijuana, prescription drugs like benzodiazepines, then our focus ought to be on providing better tools that are more sensitive and more accurate in detecting actual psychomotor impairment or impairment of psychomotor performance. It makes no sense if our focus is on impairment to enact laws that are from any element of behavioral impairment. Instead, our focus should be on providing tools to better identify the drivers that are under the influence and remove them from the road. Now, of course, in many places, this is already the case. In all 50 states, it is illegal to drive under the influence of drugs, whether they're licit drugs or illicit drugs. And there are a number of tools that police already use 
to try and determine whether one is under the influence of a drug other than alcohol. Drug recognition evaluators, for instance, are specially trained officers that go through coursework and run subjects through an elaborate 12-point test that involves physiological markers and performance tests to try and ascertain if one is under the influence of a drug other than alcohol. That's a good place to start. But what we need to get away from is this idea that by testing different matrices and identifying certain compounds, that provides evidence of impairment. Detection tests are not impairment tests. And what we need to do are take the components of performance tasks that are scientifically validated and focus on those and do a better job applying those to drivers that are suspected to be under the influence of drugs. So I understand you're working on an app that might help with some of this, Paul. Can you tell us about it? Sure. Uh, I collaborated with a group of developers out in Colorado to design a mobile app known as My Canary. And the idea behind the app is that we provide the consumer with scientifically validated tools to measure their own performance versus a sober baseline. So the tools that we use include tests of short-term memory, reaction time, divided attention, balance, and time perception. And these were chosen because when one goes through the literature, we see that these are the types of performance tasks that tend to consistently distinguish between drivers who are under the influence, or I should say subjects who are under the influence of cannabis versus subjects who are not. So the idea behind the app is one sets a baseline um, based on their own performance through these tasks when they're sober. And then when there is concern that they might be under the influence, they go through these same tasks again, and the app is going to compare their performance versus their baseline, and it's going to tell them whether it in such a manner where they are consistent with their previous performance or where there's enough differentiation in their performance that they should certainly wait before driving. And the idea is to provide consumers with accountability and the responsibility to be safer drivers if they use cannabis. Thanks so much, Paul. That's just superb. It's really nice to know that that's out there and that we're on top of some of this. I sure hope our legislators can take advantage of this. Really, nobody should drive high and definitely don't drive impaired, but if you want to pretend like you're high, keep a big distance between your car and the car in front of you, slow down, and don't bother trying to pass other cars. we got to take a break right now but I'll be back with a little discussion of nature therapy and self-compassion and the art of activism. Stay tuned. More burning issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. InternetMarketingNinjas.com is the online dojo of the highly trained and skilled Internet Marketing Ninjas. Disavow documents, reconsideration requests, panda and penguin penalties. Let our superior SEO ninjas confront all of your link-related issues. The Internet Marketing Ninjas are equipped to master any marketing exercise, content creation, authorship, link building, PPC, and more. Plus, build more buzz for your brand with our social media marketing strategy. Discover all that the Internet Marketing Ninjas can do for you. Visit the online dojo now at internetmarketingninjas.com. 
great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines. Well, with four states with tax and regulate and the District of Columbia. The state of cannabis. Oh, my God, it's refreshing. We have people that generally wouldn't speak on behalf of cannabis for fear of retribution, fear of losing your practices, fear of of many of those things, and and find ourselves in in a a place that we finally can. Bringing you fact-based news and views and keeping listeners on the pulse of what's happening in the industry today. The State of Cannabis. On demand anytime, only on CannabisRadio.com. Time to fan the fire on some more burning issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. Hey, welcome back to Burning Issues. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine with our next chapter of Self-Compassion in the Art of Activism. Here's the part of our show that encourages all our listeners to take good care of themselves and each other. Everybody claims to love a walk in the park. Personal ads suggest that tons of singles are out right now strolling along the beach. Who doesn't love to sneak outside for lunch? The big idea is getting back to nature. These are the environments we evolved to enjoy. It seems obvious, but we rarely take advantage. Some folks call it echotherapy or earth therapy or nature therapy. Some call it green therapy. But cannabis radio listeners usually reserve that expression for something else. But the take-home message is the same. Getting outside is a blast for your mood. We seem to have some natural growth needs, and one of them is appreciating the beauty of the outdoors. Burning Issues listeners know how I have trouble believing anything without data. The research on echotherapy isn't as thick as I would wish, but it's got an incredible intuitive appeal. Too bad the government doesn't fund more of this kind of research. Of course, it'd be great if we could all go camping near a gorgeous waterfall. Don't hesitate to plan for that real soon. But we don't need a whole weekend away to get the benefits. Researchers in Korea did a nice experiment on what they call forest therapy. They had folks take a 15-minute walk in the city or in the forest. Guess what happened? the participants felt more relaxed, soothed, and comfortable during the forest walk. They even felt more natural. In addition, they had lower heart rates and lower blood pressure. All this just from a 15-minute walk. Maybe it was the sounds of the birds or the natural light. Maybe it was the gentle breeze. Who knows? But something helped them, body and mind. It's beautiful, and it's a lot cheaper than most any therapy I know. But we don't even need to trek to the woods if that's not in the cards for the day. How hard is it to take a laptop outside for a few minutes? Notice how our minds tend to grouse about the idea, oh, it's too much trouble, or my boss will be mad, or it just won't help. But there are plenty of reasons to give it a shot. 
you'll likely come back more invigorated, and you'll certainly enjoy the moment while you're out there. People might make fun at first, but after they see you do it, they'll probably start stepping outside more too. And I bet your computer's battery life can certainly handle it. Or maybe you could even leave the computer behind. What's funny about this is that it relates to some of the stress reduction that smokers misattribute to nicotine. When I was at the VA hospital and it went smoke-free, people who thought they needed a cigarette all had to head outdoors. They always came back, sometimes after only 10 or 15 minutes, claiming they were completely refreshed. I asked one of my clients to give it a try without the cigarette. He laughed at first, but eventually he tried it. It seemed like half the fun of a cigarette break came from just going outside. Who knows, maybe the cigarette isn't really that important. But sometimes you can't escape at all. What about bringing a little bit inside from the outside? Well, you could stretch out on the couch and listen to the rain on the windows. You could have a little patch of moonlight hitting. Who knows? It's funny how we forget these little interventions. They might take a while to kick in. You might not feel better immediately just by opening the shades, but give it 15 minutes. What have you got to lose? When there are two paths from here to there and one means stepping into the sun, go for the road not taken and bring what you can inside whenever you can. In fact, I'm going to head outside right now. Thanks for listening to Burning Issues. My hearty thanks to producer extraordinaire Brasco and our guest Paul Armentano of the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Please join us again next week. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine at CanvasRadio.com. Follow your heart and let the data be your guide. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.